Hi, this is Stuntman Stu from Magic 100 and the former public address announcer of your Ottawa Senators. Please welcome the third line plug, Sensecast! Yes, ha ha ha, yes. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensi. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good. Watching the Sens Leafs game, and have you seen the new arena cutouts? Yes. Ha, 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 yes. There's like seven or eight of them sitting in front of the penalty box, and uh, there's this photo that the Sens Twitter put up of two Leaf players sitting at the box, and there's like these sickos just like looking at them, but it's it's honestly kind of off-putting. It is very off-putting, but I will say the one cool thing about that is that the Sens have come out and said that they're going to donate money to the Canadian Blood Service for Brian Frazier for that. Yeah, no, and uh, you gotta love it. We gotta love it, man. We gotta love it. Now, another thing we got to love is we got a very special guest joining us for today's episode. Our guest today is a staff writer for New Era Sends, as well as a YouTuber doing game recaps for their YouTube page. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us from Victoria, BC, the city of the newlywed, the nearly dead, Jackson Schwann. Jackson, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for the warm welcome, buddy. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to be on with you, too. Appreciate it. Gotta love it, man. Gotta love it. I do gotta say right out of the gate, even though this is an audio podcast, I do love the Senegoth jersey in the background that we're looking at right now. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my babies for sure. I love that jersey. Oh, it's such a nice jersey. I'm really disappointed when they do the reverse retro jerseys that that's the one they did not bring back. Thank you, because that was my idea as well. So I'm like, gotta do a revamp Senegoth, you know? Like, you know, you're gonna have the beautiful, like, the gold laurel around the bottom again and do something with that, but... Sometimes you just can't imitate perfection. You, that's true. You can't. You gotta leave it as is, I guess. But. Yeah, it is true. I do wish, though, and I've said this so many times in the podcast. I wish they'd done like the P Star shoulder patch. I that's the one thing I wish this any of the Sens jerseys would have brought back. If yes. I had to choose one thing, but you know, you're absolutely right. Like you cannot screw with perfection like that Senegal jersey. No, it'd be sacrilege. It would be, man. It would be. Yeah. So, Jackson, man, we're really excited to have you on the podcast, not just because this is your very first time having you coming on the podcast and the very first time that we get to work with somebody from New Era Sends, but also, like I said at the opening, like you're based out of Victoria, BC. We're also based out of, or one of us is based out of Vancouver Island. So, for some of our Vancouver Island listeners who may be listening to, if you don't mind me asking, whereabouts in Victoria are you based out of? Yeah, so I'm right by the, I'm in the city, sort of, the Victoria, Greater Victoria area, so down by Hillside Mall, the uh, listeners know where that is, um, so just right in the city there, kind of close to everything, which is super nice right now. I love how it's, like, really close to downtown Victoria, but I think it's still part of Saanich. Absolutely, and, like, you're, <laughs> and you're close enough city. to everything, yeah. Part because parts of downtown Victoria, like any city, are kind of gross, right, so you're, you're close to things, but you're not right in that downtown hub where it's a little grosser, so... It's a good spot to be. I'm happy with it. Oh, yeah, man. Especially right down where, like, Douglas and Blanchard, right where the arena is. It's just like, this is bad. Yes. Yeah, it's a little gross in some spots for sure. It's a bit sketchy. So, it is. no, we're in a good spot. Oh, absolutely, man. I think if I'm not mistaken, I know somebody could 
correct me here if I'm not mistaken, but I do believe that I think Hillside is like the dividing line between downtown and Saanich. Absolutely, yeah. Kind of, it's a road that runs all the way down from the suburban area down to like the city. So it's yeah, it's funny being right on that road, but it's a good spot. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, guys, I'm very excited to get together this evening, not just because Jackson Schwamm is making his debut with us, but also because we got to talk about today's cover athlete. Because today's episode is Season 4, Episode 9, in chronological order, Episode 86, the Christian Wolanin episode. So, just a little background about Christian Wolanin. He was drafted 107th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2015. He has spent parts of four seasons with the Ottawa Senators. He currently has one assist in 10 games for the Ottawa Senators this season two things i gotta mention about christian Wallant. number one did either one of you know that he's also a north dakota kid yeah i yeah, did not know I that know. <laughs> it started it kind of started with him like he's yeah i know and the second I thing i gotta mention forgot but, about it to be honest <laughs> how am i the only one who didn't know this that's just, that's what i want to know because honestly i like to think that i kind of have an idea of the sense prospects but when i learned that i was like Okay, that actually kind of makes sense. Why do the Sens keep going back to the well here the last couple of years in the draft? So the second thing i got to mention, and I know that Sens Twitter has been quite a buzz with DJ Smith's deployment of Christian Willanit. So, Jackson, i got to ask the all-important question. Like, what have you, what has been your thoughts on, A, Christian Willanit as the hockey player, and B, his deployment this season? Well, obviously there's a lot of concerns, I think, from fans. And I think it's warranted about his deployment because he's not playing, right? And anytime you have a young guy in your, your organization, part of your asset management is you want to see what we have in those players. So, I mean, like with Will Landon, he's got to play games. And the big thing with DJ is his reasoning is we have, you know, Shabbat, we have Riley, and we have Brandstrom. So that left side's filled. He's not willing to move Branstrom over to the right side, so that kind of it, it leaves it's tough for Will Lannon because he can't play on the right side, and then he doesn't have a spot on the left. So I mean, I think the first thing they have to do is find a spot for him so they can get him in the lineup consistently. And like you know, if I was coaching that team, I would, I'd put Brandy on the right side because Brandy's shown at the AHL level he can play on the right side. He did that when he was playing in Sweden. I think if I'm not mistaken, even when he was playing in Switzerland here during all the COVID stuff. He was also playing on the right side. So Branstrom's comfortable playing on the right. That's an easy fix. You know, get Branstrom over to the right and maybe sit a guy like Branson for a couple games. I'm not, I doubt they would do that. They love that guy. But, you know, you get Brownie on the right. You get Willan in a top four role kind of thing on the left. Or, I mean, the other option is you deal a guy like Mike Riley, right? That's another thing we could do maybe and get him some time. But, yeah, I, I don't. He's had his flaws in his game. I think defensively, he, he's he's still a bit hesitant with the puck. I think it's just it might be a confidence thing with him because he's not consistently in the lineup. So you can see he's just he's overthinking things a bit and he's gripping the stick a bit too tight sometimes with those breakout passes because he's a really good passer. He's got a great first pass. He's just got to find that confidence, I think, and, and get back to his game. But yeah, having a spot carved out would definitely make it a lot easier for him to do that. In early skating in the Toronto game tonight, uh, he's looked good. Great. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, I know, especially with how well Mike Riley has played, and I know since Twitter may disagree with that, if they say move Riley, especially how Riley's been playing, it would be a much easier move if they want to bring Will Lannan into the lineup. And Christian Will Lannan for us has been somebody that Tim and I have been very divided on, especially last season, because he was very, because Tim was very high on Christian Will Lannan. I wasn't as high on him. I said, eh, 
you know what? He's good. He's not really noticeable or as impressive. And Tim's like, you're out of your mind. Like, this guy is one of the better defensemen we got. And this is, even going back to Mike Riley last season, like, I was very high on Riley and Tim wasn't. So it's kind of interesting to see, like, doing this podcast, the very difference of opinions that Tim and I may have on our defensemen. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Will Lannon is too, right, is he, he's an older guy. Like he, He's not uh, a 21-year-old defenseman coming in like Branson. Like he's, he's, I think he's 20, is he 24, 25, 24. if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, 24. So, yeah, he's a, he's a bit of an interesting case because he's a bit of a late bloomer. So you're wondering, like, you know, what do we really have in this guy kind of thing? But, yeah, it's it's tough with him. It honestly is. I'm, I'm a fan of him. I like his game. I can tell you that much. So we got to talk about next week's cover athlete because next week's episode is season four, episode 10 in chronological order, episode 87, the 1926-27 Ottawa Senators. Oh, it's going to be a fun one. That's going to be a fun one because that's something that we've never, ever talked about was the original Silver Sens era Sens teams. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I might break out my like stereotypical 30s radio voice. Haven't made a decision on that yet. But with that being said, this would be the time of this show where we would head into top of the hour or talk about the game, not so much the games, but we talk about top of the hour. We talk about our week, how the previous episode went. But with Jackson on this show with us today, Tim, we actually got to talk about the 2021 Ottawa Senators first half recap. So Jackson, before we get into talking about the recap and everything going on, one thing I really like doing here with Third Line Plug, especially when we have people who are newer to the show or we've never had on, is we like to get to know them a bit better. So given that we've already talked about how, given that you're out of Victoria, one of the main traditions, like I said, is that we always get the opportunity to learn something about that. Now, given that you are based out of Victoria, I got to ask the question, how did a fellow Vancouver Islander like yourself become a fan of the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, there's not very many of us, hey? So I know it's always a good story, but no, actually, for me, um, I have a couple of great uncles who, one has actually since moved to the island out here, but um, yeah, my grandpa's brothers, um, they both lived in Ottawa for a while. My one uncle, Uncle Mike, he's still over in Ottawa, and uh, they had seasons tickets, so they watched a lot of Sens games, and I don't know, you guys have ever been down to like Nanus Bay, Parksville area kind of thing? Yeah, so we actually, we used to have a cabin out there, a cottage, and these guys would, they would bring stuff back from Ottawa. So there was, we had all these kind of little Sens decorations, like little Sens coasters and that kind of thing. And as a little kid, I loved this cottage. And I just kind of associated that logo at a really young age with, with the cabin. So as opposed to even a Canucks logo, that was the first kind of hockey logo I saw. And I just, ever since I was like a little dude, you know, I've been watching the Sens. So um, that's been my team. And I've, I've really, you know, I, I try to go to Ottawa like once a year now too and visit my uncle over there and watch games. And I've never really looked back, never really been a big Canucks guy or anything like that, you know, which is controversial when you're off Vancouver Island for sure. Oh, we know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up a Canucks fan, so I know exactly what it was like. But you're absolutely yeah. right, though. Like, giving, living on Vancouver Island, like, you're right. There isn't many Sens fans out here. And if there is, they're not as, say, vocal as a Habs fan or a Leafs fan. And even where I live, like I live up the road from you and Duncan, I noticed yeah. that there's a lot of like Philadelphia Flyers fans. I've noticed some Blackhawks fans, given that again the Blackhawks were a dynasty in the last decade or so. But yeah, Sens fans, very, very rare. And I think that's one of the things that Tim and I really, when he and I first met, was that was one of the first things that we 
became really good friends about was that he and I both cheered for the Sens. It was yeah. right around the same time that we became Sens fans too. So that's always kind of a really well, I was from story. the East Coast, right? It's true. It's true, but I mean, being from the East Coast, Tim, like you could have chose any team though. You could have been a Hab, you could have been a Leafs or a Bruins or any fan, but you chose to be a Sens fan. Yeah, <laughs> I think the weirdest fan I like, I think I've only met like a handful of Devils fans on Vancouver Island, and one of them was this guy that used to walk around Uvic pretty much every day, fully decked out in Marty Brodeur stuff, like awesome. Brodeur jersey, Brodeur hat. Oh my Sometimes god! Sometimes you'd have a glove. Yeah. It was just like. I should talk to this guy, but I never got the chance because he's always going out of classes I was going into. It's so funny you mentioned that because one of my best friends is a Devils fan. I don't always think that. It's like, that's got to be the weirdest team to be a fan of, I feel like. I don't know why, but it's just such a strange team to like to me, like the New Jersey Devils. I guess they, had, they were so successful in the 90s and stuff, but in the early 2000s, but still. Well, they're like yeah. in the shadow of New York, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, I know even my cousin's a diehard Devils fan, and that's because, like, he grew up being a Martin Brodeur fan. And honestly, it's because of him is why I was never a Brodeur fan, because I was, I was so tired of hearing about Marty this and Marty that. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. man, all right, we get it. He's really good. And, you know, but honestly, it is really cool how to learn about how you became a Sens fan. And another thing we actually got to talk about is your current position with the New Era Sens, doing their weekly report on their youtube page as well as doing some written pieces as well third line plug in new era sends our relationship with them has gone back quite a bit as we've had one of their founders on the show back this is way before new era sends became a show he filled in it was joseph joseph filled in as a host yeah. and as an interview guest a few years ago honestly that poor guy i know <laughs> hey he he's you know he wanted us being part of it so it was great but <laughs> For me, I think it was really cool to see how far New Era Sens has really came. A, because we've we've known Joseph for so long, but to see just how far you guys have come in the short period of time. So in talking about that, like, how did you end up becoming a part of New Era Sens? You know what? Yeah, so it's so funny because I have not been a big... I've always been a huge Sens fan, like I've mentioned, but never been a big Sens social media guy. It was just... The only real platform I was on was uh, Reddit, Sends Reddit. So I was a, kind of a frequent guy on Sends Reddit. And I saw they had New Era had put a post out saying they were looking for writers. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. So I just I emailed their writing team just to sample article. I had. It was like a 500-word article kind of thing. I don't even remember. I think it was on the youth movement for the Sends for just for this year kind of thing. So just did a couple pieces on rookies and tied them to some advanced stats and stuff like that. And uh, one of the main editors, Knack, really liked it and got back to me that day and, you know, said, yeah, we'd be happy to have you on the team. So from there, I kind of made a toy. I didn't really have a Twitter account. Like my Twitter, I think I made it in 2014, but the only time I've ever really posted has been this like past two months when I've been on Sense Twitter. So I have, like, I'm like a baby to all this still a bit. But um, yeah, I got on Sense Twitter and then started writing articles. Uh, wrote, I think I've written, I have two articles published. Uh, with New Era now, so in terms of the writing portion, but pretty quickly into my time there, uh, one of the members just reached out to me and mentioned they were looking to start up this report show they wanted to do on YouTube. And, you know, I'm the kind of person where I do, I love writing, like I'm, I'm happy to be a writer and that's why I signed on, but that was a really great opportunity for me because I, I do like being in front of the camera kind of and, you know, tying in the video clips like we do in our videos if you guys have watched and really breaking down the plays like that. I, I enjoy that kind of thing a bit better. So now I'm doing that and that's constant work. Like I'm taking notes on every game and we're making those videos once a week because it is a weekly report. So 
Um, it's been super awesome being able to have that role and kind of have my own little show there. And we have such an awesome team of editors and all the guys who do the graphic design too. So they make it so easy. And it's just like dimension to go from your point there too. Even since I've joined, which I think was early January, I want to say, uh, it's it's like it's it's coming a long way in new areas. Like mm-hmm. I can already see the growth too, and our Instagram starting to pop off and stuff too. Like it's it's great to see. I love it. So when talking about the weekly report, and you've been talking about how you don't mind being in front of the camera, did you have yeah. any experience doing any YouTube stuff or video editing, anything like that before you did that? Yeah, you know, I, no, not really. Like I never, I never had the whole uh, the YouTube channel kind of thing. I did acting when I was a kid, so I have like I have that kind of comfort level in front of the camera. I posted pretty funny. I had like a Tide commercial I was in with my twin brother. You know what? I was going to say, you took the bait. I know. I was going to ask about that too because I saw that on Twitter and I was like, no way. I remember that commercial from years ago. Yeah. So So we'd go to to Vancouver sometimes and do gigs like that. So there was that comfort level there where like, yeah, I don't mind being in front of the camera. Um, And yeah. So I, but besides that though, no, like no real kind of talk show on YouTube like that. So I'm kind of learning as I go. I think the first couple were definitely rough and like that part of that with that great team of editors I mentioned and stuff is they're always giving me little tips here and we're always trying to improve it. So, you know, hopefully even the next couple episodes, people start seeing that we're kind of, we're starting to polish it up a little bit. I think it'll be a good show as we keep rolling out episodes here. Fantastic. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about the 2021 Ottawa Senators. So the 2019-20 Sens team really was one that had absolutely no expectations on them, both from the media and the fan base, who really saw last season as the tankier in hopes of landing that number one pick being Alexei Lafreniere. And while we didn't end up winning that draft, we ended up actually coming out better because we ended up with the third and fifth picks that we ended up taking Tim Stutzla and Jake Sanderson third and fifth. So heading into this COVID condensed season, Sens fans actually had a bit of optimism and a reason to be very excited because of the young guns coming up, but also because the Sens had a pretty busy offseason. Like they drafted Tim Stutzla at number three. They rolled the dice to trade for Matt Murray. They made a splash by acquiring Evgeny Dadanoff in free agency and luring Artem Zub away from the KHL. To say the 2021 season has been a disaster, though, is not an overreaction. Ottawa's goaltending defensive play has been an absolute train wreck. DJ Smith's deployment of the veteran pieces over young guys have been met with overwhelmingly negative response on Twitter. And it just appears at times like they're honestly taking a real step back in their play. Now... With that being said, though, there are some very positives to come out of the first half. Most notably, the steady, the standout play of Drake Batherson, Tim Stutzla making his mark in the NHL at 19, and Josh Norris, who nobody saw as a Calder candidate at the beginning of the season. With all that being said, though, what was your expectations for the Senators heading into 2021? Yeah, you know what? I think uh, coming into the season last year, we saw that this we know we have a hard-working group. I think that's part of DJ's coaching styles. Even those games last year, we were losing a lot of games, but the Sens were kind of always in it. So uh, obviously, off the right off the bat with that first game against the, it was a five-three win against the Leafs. I think our home opener there, the first game of the season. I was like, okay, you know, this is looking good. Like this, we're playing physical. We're beating up the Leafs right away. I love it. And then of course everything kind of went south after that. We dropped like. 10 games in a row or something, right? Like, it was not good. Yeah. Um, it was a tough stretch. And you just kind of had to wonder, you know, like, where are we going to go here as a team? And like you mentioned, my read on it is, like, 
and even in those bad stretches, I liked what I saw from the young guys. It was these off-season moves that, you know, these veterans that we acquired that were really causing us problems. Like, you know, I, I was wondering, like, would it have been better if the sense had just done nothing? Like, even I love a guy like, I do like a guy like Dadanov, but, you know, even a guy like that, like, do we do we have to go and acquire these guys or could we have filled those roles with guys like uh, Abramov and Formington, who's like really good down in Belleville? Um, and even, you know, could Logan Brown have gotten a better look maybe if we hadn't signed a guy like Stepan? It, yeah, it's just tough. I, I do wish maybe that we were a little quieter in the free agency period there and, and just kind of uh, stuck to our to our youth that we had already in the organization and built from the ground up from there. Well, I know with the signing of Dadunov was one that I actually was all for because, again, they had lost Anthony Duclair, and yeah. Senators fans would be calling for Dorian's head if he, if he didn't try and go out to get somebody to replace Duclair, just like if they would be the same way if they went out and didn't land a Matt Murray after Craig Anderson left. So I do agree with you in a sense. I just wish that some of the defensive players, some of them really didn't need to be picked up. Like Erica Branson didn't need to be picked up. I think that was so obvious right out of the gate. They could have used either a Christian Yaros in that role. You're definitely seeing how Rudolph Balsers is playing in San Jose right now. He could have been in this lineup if, say, they didn't bring up a step in, a Cedric Paquette, one of, some of these guys. So absolutely, I, I do agree with you, but I do see the logic of why they went out and got these guys. It's just that it's completely backfiring for Pierre Dorian. Well, it's weird because, like, if you kept Torvietsky, you didn't need Gabranson. If you kept Bobby Ryan, you didn't need to go out and, like, well, Cedric Paquette was, take this so you can, and we'll give you a second and take your bad goal. Sorry, I don't want to say bad goalie chart. Your unfortunate goalie may never play again contract. So, like, that's a lot of what the, like, some of the worst moves were, okay, we're swapping some contracts. But, yeah, like, if Borbietsky stuck around, I don't see a need for Gabranson. I would have loved to keep Bobby Ryan in place. But uh, that's a tough one. Yeah, the Bobby one, the whole Bobby Ryan situation felt a little disrespectful because he had just won that Masterton. Like, he, I, I so agree with you. I, I just think he was a guy we definitely could have kept. I mean, his contract wasn't hurting us where we are, obviously. Like, we, we could have just used that to get to the floor, if anything. So, yeah. And, I mean, you made a really good point there, Taylor, too. Like, with the dad and off signing, that was really important because it showed that we're willing to go replace a guy like Duclair if things do go south. Because, you know, that might not be the last time that happens. You know, mm-hmm. that, was, that was tough for us fans to see. Like, we weren't really sure why a guy like Duclair was leaving. But, you know, it was good for the organization to come out and just – be proactive and replace him right off the bat and it also showed that guys are willing to sign in Ottawa so that was good to see but yeah I, I totally agree with the defensive concerns I think we could have handled that in-house a bit better especially like what you guys mentioned with Borowiecki he kind of does what good Branson does maybe just well, for better. sure I think better exactly yeah even more physical too so yeah there's some tough moves there and I think they are backfiring maybe more than I would have expected. Like I wasn't happy with a ton of them, but like you mentioned, Taylor, like it's kind of like a perfect storm. Like it's just everything's going wrong for Dorian. You almost have to feel a bit bad for him because mm-hmm. of how bad some of the guys he picked up have been. You know, at least Dadanov start to round into form. Yes, yeah, exactly. Dadanov, and he's you know I think like DJ mentioned the other day, he's not getting points in the power play, but he's you can see how he moves the puck well. Like he does good things out there. Well, what's um, nice, so that, he's doing his work at even strength. Exactly, he's a great five on five guy too, just getting the pucks in and helps with the breakout so that's good 
So with all the excitement being built up by fans heading into this season, the big question looming for the Ottawa Senators has to be the upcoming RFA status of Brady to Chuck. It has been absolutely no secret that Brady has easily been our best player outside of Shabbat since he's arrived in Ottawa, being a constant point producer, but also just being such a pain in the ass to the opposition. With the team's struggles in the first half, there were slight rumblings from fans whether Brady would want to sign long-term in Ottawa, but also with the NHL's implantment of a flat cap due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and Brady being snake-bitten as of late, these factors, I feel, play a factor in a new deal for him. So in regards to a Brady extension, how much do you believe that these factors will play into the negotiations this offseason? Yeah, you know, I just think Brady, I think Brady does so much for this team. Like, I, I don't think he even necessarily has to be lighting the lamp every single night. Like, if you look at his advanced numbers, he's just such a monster in terms of relative course and that sort of thing. You know, he's leading the league in hits still, I think. I think he's still leading the league in shots as well. So he's just, he's always making an impact out there. And, yeah, I mean, you know, we gave Shabbat the 7 by 8 mil contract, correct? That was 8 by and, 8 uh, yeah, so, yeah, and I, I wouldn't be opposed to doing the same kind of contract for Brady. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like, 8 mil wouldn't bother me for a guy like him for it long term. Um, I think it's just you're locking up kind of your two pillars of the organization. Obviously, you have guys like Stu stuff coming up and it really, uh, really important. Same as getting guys like Baptist and signed. But, you know, to me, that that's like priority number one is getting, I think, signing Brady to a 7 by 8 and then giving him the captaincy. I was Team Shabbat all the way up until this season. <laughs> Honestly, I was Team Shabbat for captain, but after I've seen him play this year, like Brady just wills the guys into battle. I think you got to give him the seat. Mm-hmm. I honestly do. And if we can get Brady on something like 7 by 8 or 8 by 8 that's the IKEA start the car contract, especially because Toronto went through $11 million at Mitch Marner for not nothing compared to what Brady Kachuk does. We're talking about second in the league in X goals, can only behind Connor freaking McDavid. Yeah, like leading the league in shot, throws the body like it's nothing. Uh, produces goals per like the only thing that's going wrong with Brady Kachuk right now is the guy's snake bitten. Yeah, like the guy's a monster, and if we can lock him up long term, then that's beautiful. Totally agree. Now, in regards to a contract extension, I know Tim made the comment, I can't remember what, which episode it was, he said that the number one comparable contract-wise will actually be his brother Matthew Deshuck. And I think that's a pretty fair comparison, A, because they both play a very similar style, while Matthew is the more offensively gifted of the two. I wouldn't be opposed to, like you said, a 7 by 8 contract. But again, with COVID-19 and the flat cap, I wonder if they're going to go with a bridge deal, just because they don't know all these years ahead where the cap's going to be, right? And it could we could be in a Toronto situation if we throw that money at Brady to Chuck and we have no idea what's going to happen five, six, nine years down the road. Yeah, you know, I think, too, part of it is even the fact that with Matthew signing that bridge deal, you got to think maybe his agent, um, I think, I, I believe it's like his mom's brother. There's some relation there with their agent, but they're close with their agent, the Kachucks are. Um, there might be, you know, some... They might they prefer the bridge deals than Kachuk, so maybe Brady's already got in his mind that he wants to sign a bridge deal. Um, I just think for the organization, the best thing they could probably do is lock him up long term because I think he only is going to get more expensive as he starts getting more points and more goals and takes on an even bigger role of the team. Like Brady Kachuk's already kind of the identity of how the Sens are playing right now, like the tough kind of style of hockey we're trying to, to preach. But um, I, yeah, like you said, Tara, at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't think a, a bridge deal would be the end of the world. Um, I just think the organization would probably save a couple million because I think 
he signed like a three-year, seven-mil-a-year deal. Um, at the end of that three years, you, if you want to resign him, you're probably he could probably be commanding ten mil by that point, even with like a flat cap. That's just my projection. I think I'm. I think the sky's the limit with Brady. He's just like a really special type of player. He doesn't really even have a comparable besides maybe his dad in his prime, Keith Kachuk. Mm-hmm. And I think we just got to lock up a guy like that to do whatever we can to do that. Yeah. Actually, even going back years ago, I would have said maybe Dino Cicerelli could have been a really good comparison because Dino was always yeah. known to be in front of the net and back, getting those goals, especially regardless of what team he played for, whether it be Minnesota, Detroit, whatever team he played for. So we're going to move on and actually talk about one of the young guys, Tim Stutzla. So around the NHL, a huge buzz was building around the Ottawa Senators heading into the season, following the World Junior performance of the German board forward Tim Stutzla, whom the Senators drafted third overall, like we mentioned. I legitly, honest, can't be, I, I, like, I can't think of another time that the Senators fans have been this excited about a highly drafted player like Tim Stutzla and what he can bring to the team. In 2021, Stutzla has not disappointed. He was fourth in team scoring and third in rookie scoring with six goals, nine assists for 15 points in 25 games midway through the season. So heading into this season, like, did you legit see Tim Stutzla as being a serious rookie of the year candidate? And what does he need to do to be in serious contention for this award at the end of the year? Yeah, you know what? I honestly, no, I, I, I wasn't too sure what we had with Stutzla. I thought he had a really good chance in making the team, but I thought maybe he'd go back to Germany. It wasn't until I watched him play in the World Juniors that I was like, oh my god, like we have, we have something very special in this player. Like he was, you could see how dominant he was, um, and he was, you know, he willed that German team into into the quarterfinals there. Like, that was pretty spectacular between him and J.J. Paterka, um, and that was when I realized, yeah, this is like, an, this might be one of the best prospects we've had since Spezza, and he could end up being the best prospect we've ever had. Like he has a lot of talent, um, and in terms of him, you know, maintaining status as like a rookie of the year candidate, I think it's just consistency with Stutzla and focusing on making the smart play, not trying to go through four guys at once. And we've heard that, you know, from the coach even about him. Um, you can see he has so much skill and he wants to use it wherever he can, but it's just about learning the style of play that you can succeed within the NHL. So it's those little chip plays. It's the safe play, even when you kind of want to go to that, you know, flashy play to skate all the way up the ice. You know, it's just, it's staying consistent. And I think just bringing his game down a little bit, just to the level where it's a bit smarter. Um, but he's, you know, he does have the, the skill to make those superstar plays. So it's going to be, he's going to be a really fun player to watch for a long time, let me put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and even in my, because I've been a fan since 2005, I can't even think of another time that a kid who's this young comes into the organization and just takes over. And it's yeah. funny, and you're absolutely right when you're talking about how he needs to start playing a little bit more smarter, maybe adapt his game. I think that also comes from the fact of where he comes from in Germany, where he plays on a bigger ice surface. So he has yes. to adapt his game to a much smaller ice surface. And a lot of people don't seem to realize that with a lot of the Europeans coming over, is that they're used to playing bigger ice surfaces. They come to the NHL style where it's a smaller rink. You need to be a lot more smarter. I think Stutzla is still young, and he will get better. He will end up being a lot smarter. But for me, I mean, just how electric this kid is. I mean, this guy is absolutely the limit. Like, just how good he could be. And well, such what's insane is his eyes, too. Like, look yeah. at the plays that he identifies. Like, he can wire a pass, almost pinpoint between players. And then him and Batherson have such good chemistry that Batherson is usually able to just put that sucker in the net. Oh, it's yeah. It's disgusting. 
those two are going to be a dynamic duel for a long time. I think they're so fun to watch together. And, you know, even tonight, I think in the game, they're the, of course, they're sticking together. Like, I think we've already hit gold with those two. And I like what you were saying there, there too, Taylor, about where he comes from. I think that's really where you see Stuzlo succeed is when he's in his transition game. Like, a lot of his goals are him, you know, skating from the neutral zone into the opposing team's end and getting the puck on that from there. Like, when when he can skate with the puck, just like almost like he's on the big ice again and he's got a lot of room, that's where his game really shines. And it's just um, learning to play when the space is kind of tight. You know, that that's what he's got to kind of figure out still. And once he puts that all together, like, he's going to be – I think he's got the potential to be a top 10, top 5 player in the league. He's got that kind of skill to me. And that's not even being biased. You know, you, mm-hmm. I, I honestly do. Well, especially with the early returns, right? Like, yeah. Like, I didn't realize – I didn't even know how good this kid was going to be coming over because – we saw him in the World Juniors. We saw how he dominated. It's like, okay, but he's playing against boys. How is this going to translate towards when he plays in the NHL? And you're just like, yeah. holy crap. Like, this kid is – the ni- he's 19. Yeah, that, and that first NHL goal, right? Like, you're just kind of like, oh, my God. Like, that's yeah. – a lot of guys get some – like, think about Brady's first NHL goal. Like, I know he sniped one that game, too, but his first goal was, like, I think went off his button in, in front of something like that. Yeah. Like. That was just like a goal scorer, like skilled goal for a first NHL goal. That and then once it kind of popped on the ice like that, so on that one timer. So I mean, yeah, you could tell right away we had something special on that guy for sure. Yeah, well, it's funny even talking about Stitzel's first goal. Like when you legit watch it on TV, it looks like he just whacked it out of the air. It doesn't even look like it hit the ice. Yeah, exactly. And I remember seeing that thing like, first. I was yeah. just like, how did he do that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I screamed when he scored. I was like, holy, yeah. <laughs> I had to watch the replay like seven times with and uh, Alex Metzger thankfully puts gifts up so damn fast that you can yeah. just like watch it. It's like, oh wow, he's benched to settle that sucker? Holy shit. Yeah, exactly, man. It was insane. As said earlier, many Sens fans were excited to see Tim Stutzla and the team's young guns finally make the jump from Belleville to the big club with Josh Norris being the most noted. So after that 61-point campaign in the American Hockey League last year, many fans were looking forward to see how Norris would produce at the NHL level. And while many fans were paying attention to Alexei Lafreniere and Tim Stutzla in this year's rookie class, Norris unexpectedly became second in rookie scoring halfway through the season with five goals, 10 assists for 15 points in 28 games. And he really hasn't gotten any attention with it, given that most of the attention is at Karel Kabrzov, currently receiving it all while leading in rookie scoring. How have you felt about Norris's play in the first half? And how do you like your chances of him being rookie of the year in the second half? Yeah, you know what? For me with Norris, um, he is the young guy where I've really seen him progress the most. Stutzla, like we were just talking about, you saw him out of the gate and he was just, he looked spectacular. Even Drake Bathurst, I remember that first game with his zone entries, I could tell he was playing with a lot of confidence. Norris was the one who maybe looked a bit hesitant to start the season, but he just looks like he's playing with, you know, so so much confidence right now. He's got that comfort level all of a sudden. And I think we're really starting to see what we have in Josh Norris, and that is a top six player. He's, I think he's a top six center, which is huge for the organization. Um, you know, even with the potential of, of filling that 1C rule, if it has to come to that, I think he's a really, really good player. And, I mean, my fixation with Josh Norris goes all the way back to the 2018, I want to say, World Juniors, when they were here in Victoria. I don't know if you ever got to check those out at all. But uh, I believe that was the 2019. I think it was 2019, yes. Yeah, no, so I didn't go to any of the games in Victoria. I went to Canada, Russia, New Year's Eve in Vancouver. That was that, that was cool. Awesome. That was a that's legit awesome, once-in-a-lifetime man. opportunity. That was so cool to see that. 
Yeah, so we, like, for me, we uh, I didn't go to the Vancouver ones. That must have been amazing. But we had the ticket package for Victoria. So my brother, my stepdad, and I, and we went to all the games for our group that we had. So it was, like, Sweden, the U.S., Kazakhstan, a couple other teams. But point being, I watched a lot of the U.S. And I watched a lot of Josh Norris. So ever since that tournament, I've been huge on the guy because he was playing with Ryan Paling, I remember, on a line. And my stepdad and my, my brother, who were with me, are both huge Habs fans. So they were really focused on Paling, who had a great tournament. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Bad. Really bad on the smart one in the family. But, um, yeah, Josh Norris was centering Paling, and those two were like a force. Like They had that one goal where they scored like three goals together in the third period for a huge comeback against Sweden, which Brandstrom was on that team. So... Um, I mean, yeah, ever since that tournament, I feel like I've kind of known what we've had in Josh Norris, and I've always been really excited about him. So to be 100% honest with you, like I wasn't even that surprised to see him excel like he, he was um, last year in Belleville. The only surprising thing for me was just maybe how quick he he was succeeding because he had that, I think it was, was it a shoulder injury? He had that shoulder, he had that injury when he was playing for Michigan that kept him out for a while. Something like that, um, yeah. Right before he went, he came to the Sens camp and then went to Belleville. So it was good to see him bounce back from that injury and play like he did in the AHL last year. And I mean, yeah, obviously that was where we realized we might have a, a really good one in Norris here. And I think um, I think he could be a rookie of the year candidate by the end of the year. I honestly do. Yeah. Well, here's the funny thing: if Josh Norris wins rookie of the year. Can you imagine what the Toronto media must be thinking of? Like, you know, you have all these, all this talent in on the Leafs team, and yet a Senators end up the ones that wins an award. Yeah, exactly right. No, I'd love it. it would cause chaos. Yes. And that's what we're about as Sens fans. Let's sickos here. Sens sickos, oh, sick. man. That's all we can do. It's great. Yeah. So, so coming into the season, the one guy who is looking to have a serious bounce back season, hands down, has to be Colin White. After his first full season in 2018-2019, where he had 41 points and a long-term extension that followed that, he regressed in 1920, only having 23 points in 61 games. While White did start off the season not looking great, which led to some fans saying he should be left unprotected in the upcoming expansion draft, he did eventually find his game, finishing with 13 points in 24 games. Overall, what have you been your thoughts on Colin White so far this season? Yeah, you know, I think Colin White was at a disadvantage from the start. I really didn't like how DJ handled the whole start of the season. They were scratching him. I mean, I feel like as soon as we saw him in the lineup, it was kind of like, what? You know, even he was making mistakes like everybody else was, and we were a losing team, so that wasn't um, that out of the out of the normal, you know. But I mean, he just looked like somebody that probably should have been in the, on the opening night roster as soon as he came in. And I never really had a problem with his game this year. I mean, I think he was definitely in his own head a little bit, which kind of like what I was saying with Lannan is to be expected if you're not a regular on the roster, right? Like you're gripping the stick a little bit tighter mm-hmm. than maybe you should be. You're not making those plays that you're you're capable of. But I think in the last couple of weeks here, we've been really been seeing some crazy regression from Conway. He had that. I think he had a five, five or six game goal scoring streak, almost or a five game goal scoring streak, I think. And uh, yeah, he's been putting the puck in the net. And then, of course, he had that injury a couple of days back, and that looked really bad, and I was worried about him because this is kind of right when he's been starting to uh, maybe play up to the level that we're, is, you know, it's worth that contract we signed him to. Um, but it was so great to see that he just missed one game, and he's already back out playing tonight, which, by the way, I don't know how he is already playing. That looked really bad on the replay mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, God willing, he came back. Right, I know. Yeah. So one comment I do want to make about Colin White is that with the Senators being 
pretty deep, all things considered, at center. When you look at some of the young prospects coming up, and Shane Pinto's going to be coming next season, it's going to be interesting what the Sens are going to do with Colin White because they have a big decision to make. Like, do they keep White or do they go with Chris Tierney? Because while Tierney doesn't bring the offensive upside that Colin White does, he's definitely more of a penalty-killing guy. But Colin White's got the big extension. So with Colin White, like, who would you go with between him and Tierney going forward? You know, for me, I think I would go with Colin White just because I think we saw what he was capable of if you go all the way back to his World Junior performance when he played for the U.S. They kind of used him a bit as like a, a defensive guy. And he'd go on penalty kills and, he, and he'd win a big face-off. So I think a big part of his game will be getting better on the dot because he hasn't been good on the dot um, this year. That's, that's one knock against him. If we can get him winning face-offs, um, I think... Down the line, you know, when this team's competitive, I would love to have uh, Whitey's a 3C if he can kind of keep growing with his game there. And I, I would keep him over Tierney because as much as I enjoy Tierney, he's, he is just kind of like an offensive black hole a little bit. Like he's, I think he scored his first three shots this year is what it was, and then he hasn't scored since. So it's just yeah, he's not a guy that I'm super enamored with, even with his, even with his uh, abilities on the penalty kill there. Fair enough. Over the past several seasons, since Twitter has been a place where fans really air out their frustrations on various issues involving the team. For this season, one of the big issues that brought out fan frustrations has been the team's handling of Eric Branstrom. Branstrom has been a guy this season that, in my personal opinion, I don't think the Senators have put him in a very good position to succeed. With DJ Smith's refusal to play him early on, to benching him outright whenever he makes one mistake on the ice, despite guys like Erica Branson being Ottawa's worst defenseman, and he has yet to be benched. In regards to the team's handling of Branstrom, like, where do you stand on the issue, and do you see things change for the better in the second half? Yeah, it's a pretty glaring issue for me with the whole Branstrom situation, because I think DJ is somebody who DJ Smith has quoted, uh, you know, accountability being a huge part of the locker room. And like you mentioned, it seems like whenever Brandy makes a mistake, he's getting benched. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen countless times obviously the frustration with good brands and he's making mistakes and then it goes right back out there. Um, yeah, I think it's just tough. They, they got to give him a bit, a bit bigger of a leash. Obviously you got to hold young guys accountable still to a certain degree, but he's going to make mistakes, especially, you know, with, with him being a bit smaller, he's got to get used to the league still with his size and how to play. Another thing that bothers me with the whole brand situation is just like I mentioned before, he has openly expressed that he likes playing on the right side. And he can make plays on the right side. He can open up his shot there. And he's got a great shot when he opens it up. Um, I think the organization's got to at least give him a chance on the right side. I mean, what have we got to lose at this point? Mm-hmm. We're not going to make the playoffs, obviously. We're going for basically a good draft pick at this point. Let's see what we have in them on the right side. Because if we can clear that up, our top four picture looks a lot clear, more clear in the future with Sanderson coming up. Uh, and then even it gives a guy like Willan in a spot that we were talking about. So I would love to see him deployed in a bit of a different way. You know, but having him on the right side there and even on the power play, get him on the right side so he can actually use that one-timer of his because he's got a really good one-timer and he's really good at getting pucks to the net. Yeah, well, I know it's with some of the young guys, like you said, you mentioned Jake Sanderson, but also with Jacob Bernadocker coming up here in the next couple of years, that's really going to put the Senators in a position of, okay, what do we really do with Eric Branstrom? Do we now move him to the right side with Shabbat or do we start screwing around with him? And I do feel like you're absolutely right. His one-timer is really good. You put him with Shabbat on the right side, then teams are like, okay, which guy do we stop? Because while Shabbat's definitely more of the patient, calculating kind of player, Branstrom looks like a young Eric Carlson. He just takes the puck and just takes off down the ice. Whether or not he makes it is 
a whole different story. But, you know, I would like to see Branstrom with Shabbat. And I think, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think they played him against Edmonton the other night and it didn't really work out that great. But, honestly, with, like I said, with some of the young guys coming up, it will be very interesting to see. So, I do want to move our attention to Artem Zub. And he has definitely been one of the big surprises this season for the Senators. And he was somebody that really nobody knew anything about, given that... He came over from the KHL. The Senators were the team to land him. Now, much like Eric Branstrom, he did have a tough time getting into the lineup this season. But once he got in, he seemed to be a player that really was able to stabilize the players on the back end. How much did you really know about Artem Zub when he came to Ottawa? And what has been your thoughts on him this season? I knew nothing about Artem Zub when he came onto the team, to be honest with you guys. Um... But, you know, as soon as I saw him in that first game, like, he, he reminded me a lot of what we saw when we had DeMello from the Sharks trade there. Just kind of that calming presence on their right side, um, not making a lot of mistakes and just making the smart play. He's not trying to do too much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, we love a defenseman like that as Sens fans when we had a guy like Mathot for so many years who, did, who was that kind of player as well. Just that steady kind of presence on the blue line. And, um, yeah, I really like what I've seen from him. And apparently, according to, to DJ Smith there, he's the shootout king. He's winning all the shootout competitions. So maybe he does have a bit of uh, offensive potential there, too, that's not even uh, tapped all the way yet. So you know, I've really enjoyed his game, and I, I wouldn't mind him being a, a part of the team in the, in the long run here, to be honest. Well, it's funny you mentioned Mark Mathot, because I was listening to the Wally and Mathot show, which I'm not sure if either one of you guys have checked out their two episodes they've had recently. Mathot is very high on Artem Zub, and he says that he's very much, as he puts it, a cooler. He's very much that guy that he stabilizes whoever he's with, whether it be Mike Riley, and he's always pushing to put him with Shabbat, because, and we'll definitely talk about this later on this episode this evening, is that Thomas Shabbat, maybe this is me, but he doesn't look like he has a ton of confidence in his defense partners. Whoever he plays with, because usually with Shabbat the last couple of seasons is that he looks very comfortable with the puck. He'll take it. He'll make a play. He'll try and score. It doesn't look like he's trying to do that. He's like, okay, if I try that, I'm not going to be able to get back because I don't have any faith in my defense partner. So I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but that's just the way that I'm looking at it this season. No, I totally agree. I mean, with, with Shabbat, it looks like you're so right. He looks a bit hesitant at times, I think mm-hmm. is the right word with it. Like he, we, we know what he's capable of doing and the plays he's capable of making. But uh, you can just you can almost see him just trying to do it all. Like you think you mentioned Taylor, like he, he he can't be the defensive presence out there and you know the offensive Eric Carlson type player making plays on the rush. So I think he needs to find a partner um, that allows him to be the best player kind of version of himself. And that you know maybe that'll be Zub, you know, a guy that can kind of be that calming presence behind on the right side and allows him to jump into play a bit more. Even today, I was watching that first part of the uh, the Leafs Sens game and. You know, he was making some making some good vintage kind of Thomas Shabbat rushes, and I think we got to see more of that from him for the Sens to really be successful. Yeah, and the hard thing is, is just as the Sens are assembled right now, Zaitsev is good old Zaitsev isn't the guy, and uh, Gabranson definitely isn't the guy. So who else but Zoo? So true. Yeah. Well, and it's funny going back to Eric Branstrom. Like, say if you put him with Shabbat is that Shabbat could be that guy in the back end where he could be kind of the team's quarterback where he just gives the puck to Eric Branstrom. He sees him, goes down ice, you pass it to him, and just takes off. Like, that could be really cool where if Artem Zub is paired with Shabbat, Shabbat can be the guy that goes down ice with Artem Zub passing it to him. So I would be very happy, and I do. I totally agree with Mark Mathot on Mark, Artem Zub with Shabbat. So 
the 2021 season has been pretty significant for the Ottawa Senators, given that this was the first full season since 2010-2011 to not have Craig Anderson in the pipes for the team as he departed for Washington. As I said earlier, Pierre Dorian this past season really went out and tried to find a true replacement for Andy, which he did in a trade with Pittsburgh, acquiring Matt Murray as the uncertain ability of Marcus Hogberg being a true number one was a real issue. With most of the team's struggles this season have been rightfully placed on the defense, the team's goaltending has been an absolute nightmare as both Matt Murray and Marcus Hogberg have been awful, with Murray going 7-12-1 and, and one, with a .880 save percentage, and Hogberg going 2-5-0 with an 8-5-9, as Joey Decord is looking more and more like the legit option going forward. Heading into the second half, like how do you see Ottawa's goaltending situation? Do you see Matt Murray retaining the starting job, or do you see Joey Decord taking this, and we're going to see him being the starter going forward? Yeah, I think, you know what... I think a lot of people have been hard on Matt Murray, and I understand it because if you look at his advanced stats, even I think his average goals allowed per sixty, or expected goals allowed per sixty, is one of the lowest in the league, which is a tough stat because you know that's kind of a stat that takes into things um, regardless of how many shots you're getting and that sort of thing. Because the Sens are a bad team, so any goalie on the Sens right now isn't going to have great stats, but that's one you want to have a little higher than his is right now in terms of numbers. Yeah, I, I think with Murray, it's just about staying healthy and, and, and playing with confidence because even tonight, you know, he, he left that warm-up early and it's just Joey Dak and that all of a sudden. And I think where uh, Murray's job is in a bit of danger is the fact that Joey Decord plays with a lot of confidence. Like, you watch this guy, as soon as he comes, steps out on the ice and warm-up, he's playing the puck like a madman. He's got that kind of like Mike Smith puck-playing abilities almost, which is so important because it's almost like having a third defenseman back there for the breakout. So, I mean... Yeah, I, I like both guys. I think if Murray gets it together, you know, he'd be a valuable guy to have in net because he has, he's won, the, you know, no matter what you say about the guy, he's won the cup twice and he's done it at a young age. So he's been through it all. Um, he, he knows what it takes to win a Stanley Cup and, and you can't really, you know, replicate that experience. I think that's huge. But um, yeah, just the confidence level I've seen from Joey Decord, I, I'm starting to think that he could be the, guy, the goalie of the future. And it's going to be a really difficult decision coming up here with the expansion draft when you have to protect one of these guys like you know I, I i think right now you have to protect joey decord and risk that they don't take mary's contract because it would really suck to lose joey decord to the uh to seattle office there's a lot of hockey left but we'll see yeah. where that goes well what's insane about joey decord right now is just not only is he playing confidently his positioning is really good oh and yeah. i think that's something that a pierre grolu can really work on with him and uh that's one thing I think uh, a lot of people don't talk enough about the Senators is uh, Pierre Groulou and his uh, goalie team, goalie coaching team, is they do the yeoman's work in goaltending development because we've seen so many high-quality goalies come through the Senators' system, either remain with Ottawa, like with uh, Craig Anderson, or even like guys like Hammy, who were fringe options and then all of a sudden have uh, percolated throughout the league, like... Hammy's still sticking around. Uh, Chris Dreiger in Florida is having himself a two-year period. You got Ben Bishop coming through Ottawa. All these very high-quality goalies, and uh, I think Ottawa is definitely having an impact. Yeah, and we can't forget Robin Leonard too. Oh, and Leonard, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, I guess that wraps up the first half recap for the Ottawa Senators, which can mean only one thing: it's time to talk about the games. Now, we got four games to talk about this evening. We've got. The Sens versus the Flames, and the three games between the Sens and the Oilers. But before we do that, 
Let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> okay, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Flames. This is a 4-3 to three Ottawa Senators shootout victory. Sens goals are scored by Connor Brown, Ryan Zingle, Colin White, and in the shootout, Tam Stutzla! And Flames goals are scored by Mark Giordano, Johnny Goudreau, Noah Hannafin, and unfortunately, I couldn't really find who scored in the shootout for Calgary. Shots were 34-22 for Calgary. Connor Brown opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Ottawa on a stretch pass from Thomas Shabbat. Ryan Zingle scores to make it 2-0 on another stretch pass to Tierney, who slides it over. Mark Giordano gets Calgary on the board from the point to make it 2-1 Senators. Colin Waite scores on a scramble to make it 3-1. Johnny Goudreau cleans up the rebound to make it 3-2. Noah Hannafin ties the game at 3. Connor Brown almost makes it 4-3 Senators, but a great defensive save by Villamaki. Such the door. Tim Stutzla and Drake Batherson score in the shootout to give Ottawa the W. So I had to condense watch this game, given that it was my I had a birthday dinner last Sunday. So we're going to start off talking about Matt Murray. 31 saves, a .912 save percentage. Following his previous game against Calgary, where he had a .636, this was definitely a big bounce back game for him. Absolutely. Yeah, he was left out to dry. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he really was right off the bat. I mean, you could tell. It looked like one of those games where it could be a bad one. Like, you know, we've seen recently some of those kind of 7-3 games. It looked like he, he was going to get hung out to dry kind of the whole game there. But he was making big saves. He was making timely saves, and he really kept us in it. So no, I think that was one of his better games in his sentence uniform so far. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure, man, for sure. So I do have a couple of guys I want to talk about. I want to start off talking about Chris Tierney. One assist on three shots. I would really have liked to see him score on that breakaway he had, but, you know, Jacob Markstrom in the second half of that game really did come up big for Calgary. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Tim. Yeah, no, so uh, that's the thing. The thing about the Senators this year is, like, they're actually pretty darn good at generating breakaway chances, and their breakouts are not even that bad. They, they just have hands of ice on them. Like, how many breakaways has Connor Brown had? All of them. Lot. A lot. It's brutal. And I mean, yeah, I, we got to work on, I don't know if it's like doing drills and practice, but we definitely have to work on finishing those breakaways because you're right, they're getting them. And yeah, I, I think Tierney's just really in his own head right now. I, I also would love to have seen him score that one because he's getting the opportunities. He's just got to, he just has to bury one um, and, and hopefully it'll come sooner rather than later here. So another guy I want to talk about is Brady Tachuk, who had an assist on three shots. As I said earlier in this episode, like, the guy is really snakebitten, and he's really snakebitten once again this game, hitting a post and getting stoned on the breakaway in this game. Yeah, I think Brady's doing all the right things, you know, and he is snakebitten in this game in particular. Um, but but I think with him, as long as he just keeps to his game and, you know, he plays the goalie, you know, sorry, plays with the blue paint, plays the other team hard, he's going to get success um, you know, he's still getting tons of shots on net. Uh, it's just, it, it's a game of inches at that point, and they're going to start going in. I think, um, you know, when, when he's in a rut like that, he's just got to focus on getting some of the, the kind of grinding, meat and potatoes, hockey-type goals in front, and just kind of jam them. And I don't think he has to, he just shouldn't try and be too fancy. Um, I don't love seeing him do those, like, little between-the-moves kind of attempts like his brother Matt does. I think he's just got to focus on his game and uh, kind of play that power forward uh effort in front there that he's so good at 
So the final note I have on this game is got to be that first power play unit. Batherson, Stutzla, Dadunov, Chef's Kiss. So good. Yeah, no, I love it. I think this was the game, if I'm not mistaken, where we saw Stutzla at the point for a little bit too, so they were sh- shifting his movement around a bit. Um, yeah, that's that's a great lineup. I think we talked about it earlier with Dadunov. He's not getting points right now on the power play, obviously, but... You know, he's, that, he's just a, a calming veteran presence up there, the way he moves the puck on the power play. He really is the perfect guy just at facilitating pucks and getting them to the rookies, like Stutzla and Batherson to make plays. Um, he's really reliable out there. And I think with this power play, you can see the potential that we have here, and they're mm-hmm. going to be a force in the league for a long time, particularly that first unit. So I don't have any more notes on this game, guys, if you want to head on to the second game of the evening. Yeah, let's let's really contextualize the reason why Jeff Ward isn't on the bench and Daryl Sutter's coaching via iPad. Because if you're an Alberta team that only beats the Senators by four goals, are you even really a hockey team? No. No, no, you're you're not. not. (laughs) Second game of the evening, Sens versus Oilers. This is a 3-2 Oilers victory. Sands goals are scored by Evgeny Dadunov and Tam Stutzla. Oilers goals are scored by Yakamotov, Alex Chesson, and Leon Dreisaitl. Shots were 37-28 for Edmonton. Evgeny Dadunov opens the scoring on a bad angle to make it 1-0 Senators. Keller Yakamoto tips in the point shot to make it a 1-1 game. Alex Chesson risks one top shelf to make it 2-1 Oilers. Leon Dreisaitl scores to make it 3-1, and Tim Stutzla scores to make it 3-2 Oilers, which would be the final. So this is another game I had to condense watch because we were recording and I had to edit last week's episode the night that this game happened. So we're going to start... Yes. Let's talk. Start, start talking about Joey Decord. 34 saves, a .919 save percentage. Looked really good in this game, and the one nice thing I do think that he adds, he brings much-needed confidence to the goaltending situation in Ottawa. He really does. It's what we were talking about earlier. Like, just his ability to play the puck there, um, especially when you're going up against the Oilers because they have Mike Smith in that, who, in, in my opinion, is, is one of the best, if not the best, uh, puck-playing goaltenders in the league. And just having uh, Joey Decor doing his thing back there and helping our defense, which is a young, kind of an inexperienced defense for the most part, uh, break, break pucks out was huge. And, yeah, he was making big saves. Like you said, 34 saves on 37 shots there. So those are, those are elite numbers for sure. And he was quite clearly the first star in that game for me. I don't think Ottawa had a lot of business being in that one. And it really could have been uh, kind of another one of those blowout losses to Edmonton. But uh, he really held them in that. Yeah, because it's looking kind of from the stat line, you could just see Edmonton coming in waves. And uh, Ottawa didn't really turn it on until the third period. Uh, Joey Decord. Yeah, probably was the one thing that stopped this one from getting out of hand. Like, 44 shots? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I want to talk about Tim Stutz a little bit. One goal on five shots. He honestly could have had two in this game for just some of the looks that he was getting, and he just couldn't bury it. Yeah, he looked really good, and that's kind of what we see with Stutz, it seems like. When it's his night, he's on, right? Like, it looks like he's just absolutely everywhere, and that was just kind of one of those games for him. I think he was finding space. I think he just he gets fired up playing the Oilers, and maybe it's his fellow countryman, Dreisaitl, there, but uh, I thought that was a really strong game for him, and, and, and uh, like he said, for sure, he probably could have had at least two goals in that one. 
Um, and, you know, maybe as he matures here and, and progresses as a player, those multi-goal games will start coming more often. Yeah, let's hope every night is Stutzla night. Right? <laughs> that would be so Makes awesome. It, fun. it would be. It would be so good. But yeah, have you ever noticed that Tim Stutzla, it seems like Edmonton, it's always in Edmonton where he plays fantastic. It might be something because he played so good in the World Juniors. He comes to Edmonton. The only thing they haven't done is beat the Oilers. And I think if I'm not mistaken, we're the only team that still hasn't beaten Edmonton yet because we're 0-6. 0-6. Yeah. Six. Oh, it's, yeah. Six. yeah. it's bad. It's bad. I mean, I, I think a team like the Oilers really exposes what's going on with the Sens right now where we are in our rebuild just because they have so much talent up front. Like, we play a team like the Leafs that we are tonight and we can handle our own, but... I think Drysdale and McDavid are on another world in terms of their, their talent and their skill offensively. And, you know, you could argue they're one and two in the league in terms of players. So when you put those two on a line together, you know, even when you go up against our best players in the Sens, like it's just such a mismatch. And that's what we see. And those guys are just kind of, you know, tearing up the Sens a little bit. So, And one thing I'm noticing, like in this game and the next game in particular, is Edmonton is really good at getting those guys out. And uh, there's something really not working with the line changes and the line matching in these games. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think Tippett, to give him credit, has been really on top of deploying Drysdale and McDavid in situations where they can kind of abuse some of our, 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 our lines defensively. Um, and, you know, up to the point where they're just kind of skating circles around the sends there. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a bit of a, a mashup issue. And, Maybe if we're playing at home with the last change, that gives us a bit of an advantage. But for sure, in Edmonton, you could tell we were uh, we were in for it. Yeah. So the final note I have on this game is Thomas Shabbat, two assists and one shot. He really looks like a true quarterback for the Senators in this game with watching some of the passes that he was making. Absolutely. I think it was this game where he took the team lead in scoring again. Like he, he really is, I think, in terms of the on-ice product, the kind of the heartbeat of his team. If Brady Kachuk's kind of like the morale and the work effort um, element, he's he's the on-ice skill stuff. Because what it seems like whenever Shabbat's going, this team kind of is as well. So it was good to see him find some success. Um, I, I think, he, like you said, he was it was a really good game for him, and he was kind of everywhere. Um, and even with, you know, he's very efficient given the ice time and everything. So... Love to see those kind of games from Thomas Shabbat. So do you guys have any more comments you want to make on this game before we head off to the third game of the evening? Uh, let's engage in some sadness. Isn't that what we uh, always do, though, Tim? <laughs> Isn't that part of being a Sens fan? Oh, so true, that? so true. Try doing a Sens podcast for four years when we're in a rebuild. Yeah. <laughs> Sens versus Oilers. This is a 7-1 to one Oilers victory. Sens goals were scored by Evgeny Dadanoff. Oilers goals were scored by Leon Dreidel. Leon Dreisaitl with a hat trick, Darnell Nurse, Jahar Kahard, Connor McDavid, and James Neal. Shots were 36-22 for the Oilers. You know, this would be the time where I would give a game recap about this, but all I'm going to do is this. I had to condense yeah. watch this because, honestly, I was putting the final touches on our first half recap, and I just looked, saw the score, I'm like, no, I'm not going to go through with this. You are a wiser man than I am. Yeah, you did yourself a favor, brother. Honestly, that's one you shouldn't have to watch. No sense, man, you have to watch that game. That was absolutely brutal. We just got outworked. I, yeah, like I said, I was telling you guys earlier, I had to turn that one off. I never turn off sense games. You know, I watched them to finish. 
whatever. This game, I couldn't finish it. It was just, it was painful. I was done seeing the boys get smacked like that. My MOTB was $10 for a goal, and then later in the game, I changed it to $30 for an Edmonton shutout. <laughs> that, that's about where we got with that one. I still gave, put in 50 bucks, but uh, that's the way she goes. Uh, one bright spot in this game, the weird thing about Austin Watson is sometimes he's got really deft hands. Yeah. Like, the the t- like the no-look tap pass to Dadanov for the Sens' lone goal was actually beautiful. Yeah, man, I like him on the fourth line. I, I don't think he's... He's not an all... Like, obviously, he's a gritty kind of player, but like you kind of tapped on there, I, I think he's got a little bit of a, a skill for sure where he can keep up with some of the, the faster players and stuff. And, no, I like the, what I've seen from him so far, just on a side note. Yeah, like, and he's also really effective on the penalty kill. He really is. He's a Tasmanian devil out there, for sure. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, like, other than that, somehow Matt Murray actually, he came up with a .86 cent save percentage despite letting in six goals. Yeah, 8.05. That's yeah. Well, you know what's funny? Even watching the recap, the only thing I can really say is, yeah, he didn't look good. But I have to admit, he had absolutely no support on that. The oil, yeah. the Senators just no. went, oh, good God, they're coming right at us again. Please do not hurt us. Like, that was just the attitude I saw from them on the ice. It was just like, please just don't hurt us this badly. Yeah. Brandstrom didn't get much ice. He actually got a decent amount of ice, but I think he gets benched for the next two games. And honestly, after that performance, he kind of deserved it. it like, I'm always in Brandstrom's corner, but... That was a bad game. Yeah, that was a tough game, right? I mean, I, I think for a young defenseman, he's 21 years old, and like I mentioned, he's undersized. Um, he, he, I think he just got a bit overwhelmed having to cover guys like Wade David and Drysaddle, especially Drysaddle, because I think Brandon's a good enough skater; he can kind of try and keep up with with someone like McDavid um, as best he can. But Drysaddle is just so strong; he's like a freight train when he comes at you, so it's really hard to defend him. And, um, yeah, maybe maybe the uh, the bench in there, DJ just recognized that this was a really tough match for him. Yeah. And might have been doing him a bit of a favor to kind of just uh, maybe take in the game a bit more from the, from the bench there. Yeah. This game, insult to injury, White goes down with only five minutes of play, going really awkwardly into the boards, and then Tzingle gets basically shoved into the boards as well. Both weave really awkwardly. Thank God Tzingle missed no time, Colin White missed the game. I, I, you know what? I still don't understand watching that replay how that guy didn't tear his MCL. Like his leg to go into that board. I don't know if you guys play hockey, but I play, you know, I still play hockey. And those are the scariest moments when you go into the boards and you don't have control like that and your legs extended. Like that, that often ends in a really bad situation, whether you're talking like a broken leg or an I mean, It's just, we've seen so many injuries in the NHL like that in the past too, where guys miss a lot of time from a, from a slip up like that. So I was so happy to hear that. You know, it, it wasn't something major and that he was uh, going to be back playing today. It's great news. Well, it's like, I just, I have no idea how that happened. Like, yeah, it's incredible that he, yeah, because, like, he's going, like, 30, 40 miles an hour. His leg's, like, an awkward position where, like, I've seen people in karate just falling to the mat and screwing up their knee with that sort of thing, and he goes right in. Yeah. Like, I thought he was done for this season because like Derek Stepan went down in a similar fashion and he's not yeah exactly no I was I was the same way I read that or I saw I watched that and I was thinking right off the bat like guys he might be done here that could be his season um so I was very very surprised to see him back so quick but 
No, it's, it's great for the Sens because that would be a big loss for Devout now. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know what? It could be one of these injuries that at the end of the season we would actually find out that he played through it, right? He could be actually injured, and he's just like, no, I'm fine. Like, it's a playable injury. I, so so true. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, with this season. I mean, I was just surprised because, like, he couldn't even put weight on that. I think it was his left leg thing. Like, they had to help him off the ice. He couldn't even go, like, skate off on his own. So usually when you see that happening, like, yeah, guys were done for a while. But, yeah, I guess it was just swelling in the moment or something. But, yeah, no, it was a crazy one for sure. Mm-hmm. So are you guys ready to head off to the fourth and final game of the evening? Let's yeah, do let's it. do it. Sens versus Oilers. This is a 6-2 to two Oilers victory. Sens will be scored by... Hot Sambacho! And Brady Deshark. Oilers goals are scored by... Connor McDavid, Tyson Berry, Darnell Nurse, Leon Dreisaitl, Tyler Ennis, and Gaetan Haas. Shots were 37-25 for Edmonton. Edmonton outplayed Ottawa throughout this game. Ottawa came out flying to start the first, following Edmonton's 1-0 lead 10 seconds into the game. However, Edmonton got their game going and didn't let up as Ottawa just ended up chasing the Oilers every time they touched the puck. So I do have a couple of players I want to talk about. Joey Decord, 31 saves, a .838 save percentage. I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm not entirely going to put this all on him because, honestly, with the kind of attack that the Oilers had in this game, you had to be... Dominic Hasek or Martin Bruder in his prime to stop all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very similar to what we were just talking about in that 7-1 loss with Murray and Net, where we were saying there's not really much more he could have done. Like This is the kind of game where whoever was in the Sens net was probably doomed to four-plus goals, like you said, Barry, in like a Dominic Hasek kind of attempt. Um, yeah, like that one, like, there was no way he was going to succeed with the, with the shots we were making him face in this one. And I think he honestly did a valid effort, all things considered. Um, with the shots he was getting. Yeah, and uh, the defense did him absolutely no favors because uh, Edmonton just set up in the slot all game. And you can't let Dreisaitl and McDavid or their wingers into the slot. It's not going to end well. No, you're asking for trouble at that point. It's exactly right. Yeah. Well, I think the funny, the one note I did, we did none of us mentioned in the last game was that Connor McDavid didn't even get on the score sheet at all. Like, he didn't have a goal, he didn't have an assist, so I think that's really, really impressive. One guy who I really liked in this game was Tim Stutzla. One assist and one shot. I really liked the play on the Shabbat goal to make it look like he shot it for a slap pass. Yeah, and that's just that elite kind of playmaking he has, right? Like, that's what we're going to see a lot of him in the future with Tim Stutzla. Like he just, it's those quick plays that kind of set him apart from the rest of the crop in the NHL, I think. Um, and that was a great example of it, of, uh, of kind of what he can do to set up his teammates there. Shabbat definitely benefited from that one. No, it was kind of weird. Is Clark Bishop came up and actually played, all things considered, pretty well in a game that was a bit of a tape burner for Ottawa. Yeah, I liked his game a lot. I think he, he gave that fourth line some energy, and I think he came in tonight, and right off the bat, he had a nice cut to the net. He got an assist on that first goal, if I'm not mistaken, or the second goal there, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know all of a sudden I'm liking what I'm seeing from that guy. He's playing with with some heart, and uh, it's always good to see guys like that come out of nowhere. What I didn't know, actually, is that he was actually on, I guess, the World Junior team back in the day. Him and uh, DJ was an assistant coach from Dominic Ducharme, was coaching one of the World Juniors. Wow. So there's the, that's the connection there. So obviously DJ knows the player and saw something in him. So I'm sure that's why that move happened because that was the, that was the balls. The, or sorry, yeah, the Yaros trade exactly. Um, so 
yeah, no, I, I guess DJ sees something in him, and, and he looks like a decent player, so hopefully he can continue to find success here. Well, the other thing is, is like, Yaros clearly has fallen right down the depth chart, especially when you guys got, like, Lassie, Tom- you got, yeah, Lassie Thompson, you got Werner Docker, you got Sanderson, Cleve, and all coming in. And if you can turn someone who's obviously not going to be an NHL player into someone who could be a 13th forward, that's great asset management. Yeah, it's it's not the worst for sure. I, I still wish, you know, I, I, I'm liking Bishop so far for sure. I do wish they did keep Yarosh just because I feel bad for Belleville. Like even for Belleville to have a guy like that would be huge because um, they've been kind of decimated. But, yeah, I know, to, to speak to your point there, Tim, for sure, I, I think if you can get a player who helps you back, then, you know, if you have to get rid of some depth, um, it's not the end of the world with this end because they kind of have the, uh, the cupboard stocked right now on defense. So another guy I want to talk about is Thomas Shabbat. One goal on two shots. That end-to-end rush is something I honestly wish he would do more, like we mentioned earlier in this episode, as he does seem to have a real lack of confidence in his defense partner. Now, let's talk about that goal, because it's been a while since you've seen Thomas Shabbat go end-to-end and bury it. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is a great goal for Shabbat. I think it just uh, he got rewarded just for working hard and moving his legs and you know, it was kind of a lucky bouncing in there, but that's just kind of, you know, the old Gretzky saying, you know, get it to the net, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take type of deal. Um, I think it was a good play by Shabbat, and um, yeah, he definitely does need to get his legs going a bit more and skate, because, man, he's a, he's a fantastic skater. It looks effortless out there, um, and he is so calm with the puck, so I would like to see him, you know, focus on the offensive side of his game a bit more and try and get uh, rushes like that a little more regularly. Absolutely. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on this game before we head off into the close for another evening? Uh, no, but... And I think, as with most Edmonton games, let's burn the tape. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Good call. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network, where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8 WYTE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, the first half recap, or you want to give props to Jackson Schwamm on his debut edition on the Third Line Plug Sensecast, shoot us an email, Third Line Plug Sensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, we actually got three games this coming week. We've got the game this evening versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Monday and Wednesday, we were playing the Vancouver Canucks at home in Ottawa. Nice. So, Jackson, man, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to join us for today's episode. It's been an honor. Two things we got to ask before we let you go for another evening. One, where can the people find you on Twitter? And where can they find your work at New Era Sense? Yeah, so uh, you can find all my work there for the Sens with New Era Sense or at newerasense.com. Uh, I got a couple of articles up there if you guys are interested in that. Also on our YouTube channel there at New Era Sends. We do those weekly reports we mentioned before. And Twitter, just my name there, at Jackson Schwamm. Uh, I usually tweet uh, quite often and try to follow the Sends and Bellville games with footage and coverage and that sort of thing. So, yeah, if you guys want to stay updated, please check me out there. Excellent. Now, one final thing we got to ask before we close it off for another evening it's always been another tradition on the third upload says cast is that we get our guest to either yell or say hot sam bacho so in honor of you coming on the show can you give us a hot sam bacho and i have a hot sam bacho 
Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jackson. Go Sense, guys. So